don't know me, my name is Sam, and uh, my, my role here is I am the youth pastor. I have the joy and privilege of looking after our young people, um, which is a joy and privilege. Um, I know many people laugh when I say that, but it is a real joy and privilege. And today... We're going to be looking at what is quite a relevant topic and, and how God has called us here at Christchurch to be a thankful people, okay? So this is part of our ongoing series um, that we've called Jesus Culture, the culture that God has called us to be and to live in as a people here together in Christchurch. And I couldn't help but smile to myself when I was preparing this sermon because I couldn't help but think that this is the most British sermon ever preached on a Sunday morning. It's so polite and it's so well-mannered, but you'll be glad to know that I'm not going to be berating you um, to be more polite um, in the back of my mind I've got my mum kind of going now what do you say um, kind of in the back of my mind about my please and my thank yous um, and the really awkward moment when you're speaking to young kids and you say now what do you say and they say the wrong one and you can't say no no that's wrong because it is right and you want them and to having to go through that minefield but we're not we're not going to be going into that this morning we're going to be looking instead at something which i hope is 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 more exciting i hope is is, is something that will be deep in us already and something that we can we can grow into together so we're going to go to the bible as with all things we want to we want to ground ourselves in what god has said not what we want to say and so we're going to go to a book of the bible called colossians chapter 3 Verses 1 to 17. And if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to come up on the screen, so don't feel like you have to turn there. But if you do have a Bible, please follow it along with me. And whilst people are turning there, just going to give you a bit of context, okay? Just to give you a bit of an understanding where we find ourselves. So this book is written to um, a people in a place called Colossae um, and the area surrounding that, which is just modern-day Turkey, okay? And this is written by the Apostle Paul, okay? And basically what Paul is writing is Paul is writing to combat some teaching that started to come into the church in Colossae and in that area where they say, hey, you need this sort of thinking and this sort of teaching to really really understand God and actually trying to add something in to the message of Jesus to make it something different from what Paul and what the apostles and what Jesus himself taught and so when we come to chapter three Paul has just finished kind of just saying no Jesus is God he's the only way to God and he's kind of finished that 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 sense of the argument and and done it very well I might add and now he's kind of coming to this place where he's gone so if God is this all that we've said he's going to be then being a Christian and following Jesus is going to look like something. It's going to look like something. And so this is where we find ourselves this morning. So please read along with me, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
loved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell rich in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Brilliant. So Paul has just spent some time just kind of just separating. Thanks, Sam. Just separating what it means to be kind of what life was like before Jesus and what a life in Jesus will look like. Okay, And what he almost, we find him concluding at the end of those verses is that a life of following Jesus is going to be characterized by being thankful. So we find in the last three verses there that Paul just hits that point home. Be thankful. Be thankful. In thankfulness. In thankfulness. He's, he's, he's beating this point home about the idea that a life of following Jesus is going to be characterized, it's going to be shown in a life that is thankful. And I guess the, the question that you'd come to then is, is, so what is the motivation? So we've just read all of this about what Paul is saying. And what is Paul saying is the motivation to be thankful? Why would you be thankful? What does it mean to be a thankful people? And why is that important for you as a people? And what Paul has done brilliantly is he, he builds this almost, this, this argument answer all the way through these verses where he goes, because of this, this is the action. Because of this, this is the action. And he builds it all the way through and then concludes, so you've got to be thankful because that's what it looks like. And so the reason, the reason why Paul says we should be thankful, it starts in verse 1. It's almost summarized in verse 1. And it says this, if then you have been raised with Christ. Okay, that's Paul's big point. We are thankful because we are raised with Christ and what that means and what that looks like. And the brilliant thing is that we have the best possible analogy for this this morning in baptism. Okay, baptism is that analogy. That's exactly what baptism is doing. It's showing that as people go down into the water, they're dying to their old self, their old way of life, the sin, the mess, the things they did against God, against others, against themselves. And then as they come out of the water, they're symbolizing them being raised with Christ into newness of life with him. Okay, Newness of life with him. And that is the analogy um, that, that God has given in baptism baptism and so Paul is saying because of that should be thankful and then he just impacts this he impacts what it means and then you know you see in verse three what it talks about in terms of him saying you know you've died to your old way of life died to your old way of life that stuff that used to separate you from God that stuff that used to harm and affect other people that you've died to that that's no longer alive in you but dead in Jesus and then That newness of life is not just knowing life now, true life, real life now, but also knowing life in the future, eternal life in the future. It says in verse 3 that their life is hidden with God. And there's this mysterious way that when you come to Jesus, your life is no longer just grounded here, but it is hidden in eternity with God, that it is kept there in God for all eternity in him. 
And he builds again on this point and he will continue to build on this point. And so in verse four, he says this idea that when Jesus returns, that those who have been raised with Christ will be with him in that return. They'll be caught up into what he's doing. And so the Bible calls this the new creation. And it says that when Jesus comes back and he is coming back, that when he comes back, that he's coming to renew all things, that the whole earth, everything in it is gonna be renewed to perfection, to the way it always should have been before sin and death and everything else entered the world that is going to be renewed to that and for the Christian those who've been raised with Christ they are caught up into that perfection and they will be with God where heaven comes down to earth and God dwells with man once again that the Christian who is raised with Christ is caught up into that they're in that they're with that that is part of who they are that's an assured hope something that they can take to the bank that that is something that's going to happen and in that place there's no more tears there's no more pain there's no more sorrow there's no more death and there's no more sin it's a perfect place that those who are raised with Christ will be with Christ as he comes again and he builds this point further and further and he says that in verse 10 it's not just that that the Christian who's raised with Christ their life is wrapped up in eternity it's not just that but there is real life now real life now that the Christian is being changed and shaped the Bible uses the word renewed into God's image this is verse 10 into God's image they are being renewed to be more like him and what that means is they're being renewed to be more loving more at peace more joyful more free I could go on and on and on but all of that more all of that looking like God all that looking to be more free more at peace more at hope that is just by being found in him it's by being raised in Christ that we are with him in that way And then it says in verse 11, and this has a a corporate kind of application as well. It says in verse 11 that there's nothing that can separate people from God. So no one can come to God and say, because I was born in this country, or because I was born in this way, that I have a greater right to be with God. What Paul says in this, in this list, list here of, of, of Greek and Jew and circumcised and uncircumcised and, and that, that list of people, what's going on for the people that would have heard that is that they're hearing that it doesn't matter what, what nationality you have, what birthright, you've, you know, where you've been born into. It doesn't matter whether you've lived morally and towed the line every day of your life or whether you have lived shamefully and made a shambles of your life. It doesn't matter even how kind of the social status that you're born into. It doesn't matter where you've been born, you know, the old saying with the silver spoon in your mouth or whether you've been born into abject poverty. There is no one who has a right to come before God more and say, oh, I should be saved first. I've got a better place at the table. No, it says that Christ is all and in all, that nothing and no one and nothing that we do and nothing that we have here on earth can bring us to a place of greater salvation or can put us before anyone else on that line. That actually God says that there is nothing that can separate. And again, he builds this point. He builds it in verse 12. And he has these three just amazing words. And again, we could preach a sermon on each of these words. But that that we are chosen and holy and beloved. That God has chosen us. That he has seen us and says, I want you. 
I want you. You are my chosen one. And he says that you are beloved. And what that means is that God has adopted you to be in his family, that you are a son and a daughter of God. But it's not just a, uh, an adoption in terms of a limited thing, that the adoption and the love that God has shown to be beloved is to be caught up into the eternal love of God. So the love that God has always had between Father and Son and Holy Spirit, the love that has always been present in the Trinity, that that is the love that we are caught up to into adoption as we are raised with Christ and that we are holy that because of Jesus God looks to us and says perfect blameless he doesn't look to us anymore and see the sin and the stuff that we have done wrong and are doing wrong and will do wrong that he looks to us and he sees Jesus and so says to us you are blameless there's nothing I'm going to count against you and this is grounded in verse 13. This is where all of this, what it means to be raised with Christ, rises and falls. That we are forgiven. That those who are raised with Christ are forgiven. That through Jesus' death on the cross, that the punishment for sin, the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God that was coming against those who rebelled and hated him and did things against him and other people, that that was paid fully, completely, totally on the cross. That this Bible says that the sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. And so we are forgiven. Totally, fully, eternally forgiven. We can approach the throne of God without fear of punishment, without fear of being found out for the things in our hearts and our lives that we can approach the throne of God. And Paul's conclusion then is that a people of whom all of that is true are a people that will be thankful. It's a logical conclusion. That as Paul builds this argument, he builds to this point of, of course, gratitude. Of course, gratitude. And, and Paul has been talking about a lot of other behaviors and things like that. But he, he gets to this point of the end where he says that. And it's not, it's not a polite, well-mannered kind of, like I was saying at the start, kind of British, oh, you know, thank you very much, thank you very much kind of thing. It is a rejoicing, uncontainable overflow of gratitude because of who Jesus is and what he's done. The thankfulness that Paul is talking about is the ultimate response of a people who have received the greatest gift in Jesus. I'm going to say that again. The thankfulness that Paul is talking about is the ultimate response of a people who received the greatest gift in Jesus. And it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle, it's, it's an attitude, it's a, it's a soul state, it's a way of being. It's not, it's not something that is just a response every now and then. It's a way of being, it's a way of life, it's a way of living. That we have been brought from death to life, therefore thankfulness. Therefore thankfulness. And, and that thankfulness in verse 16 and with all of the parts of the Christian life that this is worked out in community, that God doesn't call individuals, that he calls to himself a people together and that is worked out in church. It says it really clearly in verse 16. So that it's the people of God together, not just certain individuals within the church that are called to be thankful together. And that's great news. So practically, what is this going to look like? So we've, so we've established that this is what Paul is saying. We've established this because we are raised with Christ. Thankfulness is a conclusion. So what does this look like for you and me today? Because if, if people's lives are overflowing with thankfulness, it's going to look like something. 
It's got to look like something. Because it would be inconsistent to not. It would be, it would be like me saying, I am a very generous person. I'm an incredibly generous person. And yet, I hoard my finances, I hoard my possessions, I hoard my time, I never give anything, I never, never want to, 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 to share anything with anyone. Just by who, what I'm being, just by what I'm doing and who I'm being, obviously that statement is proven to be untrue. And so obviously, the fact that we're saying that God's people are called to be a thankful people, there must be a way of acting and reacting that God has called us to as a result. And very simply, I'm making it very simple, and this, this is the simplest way that I can bring it down or boil it down to. Thankfulness is acknowledging. Okay? Thankfulness is acknowledging. It's acknowledging the work of God around you, and in particular, the way that he is working in and through people. It's acknowledging the work of God around you, and in particular, the way he's working in and through people. And they, I could, we could, again, we could build and build and build on this and give thousands of examples and, and, and how that means and what that looks like. But ultimately, thankfulness is nothing less than saying thank you. Okay? It's a lot more than that, and it should be a lot more than that, but it can't be anything less than saying thank you. A thankful people will say thank you. It's just that it's the way it is. It's the way it will be. If we are a thankful people, then we will say thank you. And again, we're, we're looking at that, not in the polite, British kind of well-mannered way, in the overflowing, rejoicing gratitude for who God is and what he's done in us kind of way. We will say thank you often and well and enjoy it. And so it could mean a few things for us. And in a way, what I'd like to do is I'd like to spend a bit of time just dreaming of, of what it would look like for us to, to continue and to grow into what God's called, God's called us to in this. Because what would it look like if God had, had called us to be thankful and we were thankful in the community that we find ourselves in here in, here in Hailsham? What would it look like if as we went about our daily lives in work and on the street and having a cup of coffee and, and having a beer with a mate and, and all that sort of stuff, but that we were genuinely just overflowing with thankfulness and gratitude? I think people would be encouraged. I think people would feel valued. I think people would, would, would feel like they've been seen. And they'd feel like there's something that, that is being just worked across for them, that they're being seen and they're being valued and loved and acknowledged. And, and one of the ways that, that, that this potentially can play out, and it's just an example, is a while back, um, Malcolm was talk, talking about the emergency services and, and how they are so, like it's such a high-pressured environment for them. And he kind of challenged us at a prayer meeting a while back to, to say thank you to, to the emergency services for what they do. And um, I really felt that challenge hit me kind of hard. And, um, and I remember I was, we were on at Cobham Services on the way back from Milton Keynes at one point. And it was just after terrorist attacks in London, um, and there was these armed policemen um, kind of just standing guard, basically, I think just being a presence. Um, and I thought, right, I'm going to go over and I'm going to say, I'm going to say thank you to them. And it's nerve-wracking going over and saying thank you to someone anyway. And when they've got like an automatic weapon, it kind of like doubles that intensity. Um, but I thought, I'm going to do it anyway. So I walked past them um, and I said, listen, thank you for what you do. I, I really, I do, I genuinely appreciate it. I really appreciate what you do um, kind of for, for us and for this population. And they were just kind of like, okay, yeah. Great, they didn't know what to say um, at all. And uh, I, I actually did it as well in Tesco Express. I saw a paramedic and I said I did the same thing. Um, it was one of those awkward things where I've decided to do it as I've walked past him. And so I had to turn around and chase him out the shop um, to say thank you um, sort of thing. And I did it. And again, it was, it was awkward. But it's, it's, it's the when that builds as a people, what that will look like, what that will look like, 
that people feel acknowledged and valued and seen. And another way is, is being thankful for what we have. And, you know, it's, it's interesting being grateful for what we have because when you acknowledge what you have, and whether that's finances or just family and friends, it doesn't have to be an abundance of wealth. It could be an abundance of just, I'm, I'm a very wealthy man because of the people in my lives. I feel very wealthy because of the people in my life. I've got a richness and a wealth in my life because of the people in my life. And so it doesn't just have to be a finances, but there's this interesting thing that happens that when you acknowledge what God has given you, when you acknowledge all that he has done in giving you, whether that's houses or finances or people, you realize you've got more than you could ever need. You've got more than you actually need. And so thankfulness in that context looks like an overflow of generosity. It looks like saying, I've got so much. Let's just give some away. I've seen and acknowledged that God has given me more than I need. Whether that is, I've just got such good friendships. I just want to be able to love people that maybe aren't feeling loved. Or maybe that's, I've got, I have, I've got some money in the bank that, that I don't need. You know, I don't need this money sitting in the bank. Like, where's the need? Tell you what, the food bank, food bank in Hailsham, there's people that can't eat. Let me give money, let me give time, let me give food into that place. Maybe it looks like saying, God, I've, I've, got, some, I've got some surplus here. I've seen that by saying thank you. You know, what are the needs in the community around me? What, what are the needs of my neighbours? Not just a specific, like, you don't have to give it into a charity. What are the needs of the people within your vicinity? The people that you talk to and hear about? That can overflow. It should be an overflow. Thankfulness does lead to generosity when we acknowledge all that God has given us. And ultimately, where thankfulness should find its roots, where its deepest fulfillment should be, is here amongst us in the church as we meet together. On a Sunday, in life groups, as individuals and families and friends meeting together. And the reason for that is, if we can't be thankful for one another, we are not going to be thankful for anything else. If we can't be thankful as God's people for the people that God has put here together, we are not going to be thankful for anyone else or anything else. It will not be an overflow. It will not be an overflow in our lives. Because God has put us in a family here together to build one another up in him, to strengthen one another, to live for Jesus, to show and share what Jesus has done in the world around us. We should be supremely thankful for one another, for the way that people display Jesus in ways that we never could, for the way that people bring gifts to the table that we cannot fathom. People with administrative gifts are an absolute, just alien life to me. I do not understand people that just get organization and can just do all the administration and spreadsheets. And I'm so grateful to God for people like that in the church. I'm so grateful to God for people like that in the church. I'm so grateful to God for the people of different ages and experiences and testimonies and backgrounds that bring something to me and to my experience that shows that I need them. I need them to walk more faithfully with Jesus, to walk more deeply with God, to understand the limitations in my own heart and my own life. I need the people and we need the people together. And I think in many ways, as Christchurch, we do live out this as part of our culture. I do believe it's part of who we are. And I believe it's something that God is calling us into in a deeper way and a richer way. And I'm going to give you two two examples now, or two two, two ways of explanation. Um, One is, you could almost call it silly. I don't think it's silly because I think part of rejoicing is that when you rejoice, it should look fun. Okay, so one of them is fun, and the other one is a slightly more serious. It's got a little bit more of a heavy note, but it's, it's just those examples of how God has done that together. And, um, and so one of the examples I want to give is, so me, me and my wife, Hannah, 
Um, a couple of years ago, we, as a date night, we were kind of just sitting there just going, what should we do? Um, and we had this idea. And uh, did anyone ever play Knock a Door Run as a kid? Is anyone going to own up to that? I did. I played it. I was, I was naughty. Um, I played Knock a Door Run as a kid. Um, and so me and Hannah, we had this idea. It was a really fun idea to play Knock a Door Bless. Okay. Um, and I remember, so, so the, the plan was we were going to go into Tesco's and we bought all this, all this just treats, just chocolate and stuff like that. And we we're like, what we're going to do is Hannah's going to be the getaway driver. And I, with, I had a cough at the time, and I don't know how I managed to be the person running around, but anyway. So, uh, so Hannah was going to be the getaway driver, and I was going to put the parcel on the door, knock on the door, and then pelt it as fast as I could to the car. And, um, and basically, we're going to try and get away without being seen. Um, and I remember it lasted all of two minutes, um, because Jodie and Joe kind of saw us, because we weren't very subtle um, in kind of getting away. So it lasted all of two minutes. But... It was a real fun thing. And all that came out of is as we were sitting talking together about what we wanted to do that evening, we were just talking about how grateful we were for the people that God had put in our lives. Just friends. Obviously, we didn't get around the whole church. I wish we could. Um, we'd have been up all night. Um, but just the people that God had put in our lives, who we just wanted just to say thank you to, to feel acknowledged and blessed. And the other example is when, when stuff goes wrong or when things get hard here, people get around one another. People get around one another and they help. You know, uh, so all, many of you will know that we just had, me and my wife Hannah, we just had a baby and we did not cook for three weeks. For three weeks we did not cook. Two weeks we were brought food and we had such a surplus of food from the other two weeks we just brought stuff out of the freezer for another week. And it was amazing and it was so helpful. And there's been much harder and much more difficult situations that people have found themselves in. But what you find is that after that, there's just this overflow of gratitude. Just people are just so thankful to be together, to be part of a community together. They're so grateful for it. And it's part of who we are and part of who God is calling us into. Ultimately, though, the greatest purpose of us being thankful is bringing glory to the one that we're thankful to. Psalm 69 verse 30 says, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And as we acknowledge all that God has done, all that he's doing, all that he will do, we're magnifying the name of God. We're bringing glory to him as we thank him and praise him for the things and people and circumstances that we find ourselves in in our lives. We're giving him the glory that he's due, that he's worth. We bring God the glory when we're thankful for the people in our community. We do, we bring him glory when we, we're thankful for that. We bring God glory when we're grateful for all that he's given us and we glorify God as we're grateful for the people who he saved us into here at Christ Church. I'll close this morning with the words of Paul in verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.